0: have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to a, the book of Ephesians. We started a sermon series in this book a few weeks past. And we're picking it up again. This morning we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, primarily focusing on verse 8 through 10. The title of the message is Fulfilling Our Purpose. Fulfilling our purpose. We're reading the words of the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of God's Spirit to the church at Ephesus. 1957 years ago, he wrote this letter. But he's also writing to the church at Miles Road right now. And what he had to say to the church at Ephesus, he has to say to this church. And he's also speaking under the authority of God's Spirit as well to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast or brag. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. I heard the story about a man who had a passion to serve someone. He had a burning desire to do a good deed towards someone. One day as he was walking through his neighborhood, as he was walking down his street, he saw a little boy on his tiptoes trying to ring a doorbell that he couldn't quite get to, wanting to serve wanting to help, wanting to do a good deed, Keith went to the little boy and asked if he could be of assistance. Keith has a servant's heart, you know. And the little boy said, you sure can. Would you ring that doorbell for me that I can't reach? Would you ring it seven or eight times if you don't mind? And so Keith, with a servant's heart, he tapped that thing harder and harder as he did it. Seven or eight times. And nothing happened. And Keith asked the little boy, well, what do we need to do now? And the little boy said, I believe we need to run like crazy. I hear the man coming. When it comes to service, some of us like to run like crazy from it, don't we? Make mention of the nursery, we're out of here. Talk about children's ministry, ushering, teaching, leading a small group, or even singing in the senior choir or the main choir. Whenever we hear any call for service... We want to duck and dodge and delay and disappear as soon as possible because we just don't want to serve the Lord. Now bear in mind we don't have a problem with somebody else serving the Lord. Those folks in front of me, they can serve the Lord. Those folks behind me can serve the Lord. Those folks to the left of me can serve the Lord. Those folks to the right of me can serve the Lord. And by the way, these two sitting next to me can serve the Lord. But I don't want to serve the Lord. Now, in our text, what the Apostle Paul is going to talk to the Christians at Ephesus about and what he's going to talk about with the Christians at Miles Road is service. You were saved not to sit in a pew and stare at the people on the platform and skedaddle out the door on the final amen. You were saved Serve. Let me say that again. The reason God saved you, the reason God saved me, was for us to find a place of service in his church that we might make a difference for him in our church, that we might have a ministry of service in our community, that we might make a difference in our community. Ladies and gentlemen, God saves us to make a difference in our service. There is no exemptions. There is no exception. There is no exclusions. There is no escapees. If you're sitting here under the sound of my voice and you are saved, born again, a child of the living God, going to heaven... You have been saved to what? Serve. Now, before we talk about that service, I'm going to give you some bonus stuff. Okay, this is free of charge. Relax. Some of you are grabbing your wallet. Not going to take another offering. This is absolutely free, but I'm going to give it to you. This is about salvation, Because there's some of you that might be confused about salvation. I have to admit to you, many preachers are very confusing when it comes to telling somebody about salvation. They make something that is very plain and simple very complex. So what I'm going to do for the next few minutes before we talk about service, the main point of the message is I want you to get this down big, plain, and straight. In Ephesians chapter 2, in the verses we just read, 8, 9, and 10, I want to show you salvation simplified. The Apostle Paul was an intellectual genius, particularly when it came to theology. But he understood that when you teach people things... You have to teach the profound things with simplicity, the deep things with plainness. And so he uses three prepositional phrases, and verse 8, 9, and 10, to tell us about salvation. Now, listen to me. If you get this down today, you will never get fooled, you'll never be deceived, you'll never be misled. You'll never be led astray about salvation. Notice in verse 8, this prepositional phrase, by grace. By grace. This is what God offers to us in salvation. You see, salvation, God has a part in it. We have a part in it. And God's part is by grace. By grace God offers salvation, forgiveness of sin, and eternity with Him in heaven. God offers that to every single person, every man, every woman, every teenager, every little boy, every little girl. God offers salvation without cost, without condition, fully freely and forever to whosoever will. You got that? By grace, God packages up the gift of salvation that His Son paid for and His Spirit brings to us and He says, here it is. By grace, you can have it. How do we get it then? To them that receive it. How do you receive it? They have a right to be called the sons and daughters of God. Notice what Paul says. Second prepositional phrase. By grace, this is what God does. He offers us salvation fully, freely, forever. No cost, no condition to whosoever wants it. How do we receive it? Through faith. Through faith. What is faith? It's trusting. And the person of Jesus Christ. It's trusting in His finished work on the cross to have paid for our sins. It's to put our trust in Him completely. It's to put our trust in Him solely. It's to put our trust in Him repentatively. That's how we receive the gift. Okay? The fact that the gift is offered is by God's grace. We receive the gift through faith. And that brings us to the third prepositional phrase, and that's found in verse 10. How do you know that you got it? It's by God's grace, that's what God does. Through faith, that's what we do. How do we know that we have it? How can you have the the affirmation, the certainty, the evidence that you have passed from death unto life From hell bound to heaven bound. Well, unto good works. When you get saved, you receive God's grace through faith into your life. You are going to be changed. If your salvation doesn't change you, you need to change your salvation. Because when God saves somebody, He changes that somebody. He changes their mind, he changes their mouth, he changes their mannerisms, he changes everything about them, he overhauls them, and takes something old and makes it brand new. And part of that change, part of that transformation, is he puts within us a passion and a power to do good works. Better said, godly works. He puts us to work for Him. We begin to want to witness. We begin to want to serve. We begin to want to give. We begin to want to uh, share our faith, live out our faith. So do you understand that now? By grace, it comes from God. Through faith, it comes to us. And how do we know we got it? Because we will live a life of good works. That's simple. And there's no charge for that. Now, let's go into the heart of the message, which is service. Four things I want you to grasp. Because if you can grasp these four things, you can be a life changer, a difference maker. Not only in your church, but in your community. The first thing I want us to see, and we're going to be focusing on verse 10 primarily. When we're talking about serving God, you've been saved to do what? Saved to? That's very weak. Saved to? Saved to? Okay, very good. The first thing you need to understand, you are saved to serve because you are God's masterpiece. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Workmanship. Now what does that word workmanship mean? Well, it comes from a Greek word that means a completed, finished work of art. It comes from a Greek word that would picture an artist painting a picture. And he stands back and he looks at the picture. And he says, it needs one more thing. So he puts his brush in the paint and he goes, and then he stands back and he says, wow, wow, that's perfect. Another picture would be a, a, a sculpture, a sculpturer. And he's sculpting something with his hands and with the chisel. And he, and he stands back and he looks at what he's done and he says, man, that's, that's, there's just one more thing that needs to be done. Ah, oh, goodness, that's it. That's it. Eureka, that's it. A songwriter writing a song And he's got all of it down, except that last closing stanza. That's it! (laughs) That's a hit! That's a number one! That's what that word workmanship means. It means a painter who puts a splash on the canvas and turns out a masterpiece. A sculptor who takes a little tap with the hammer... And turns out a masterpiece of a sculpture. A songwriter who puts a few more words on that song and all of a sudden that song goes from average to great. It's the final touch on something that will be forever priceless and valuable. And Paul says to the Christians at Ephesus and he says to the Christians at Miles Road, you are a what? Your workmanship. You are a masterpiece by the living God who created you. You are perfect in the eyes of your Creator. Michelangelo, one of the great artistic minds and hands of all time, was asked about a sculpture that he was making. And he was making this sculpture out of a slab of stone. And Michelangelo said, I'm chipping away at this slab of rock to liberate the masterpiece that's inside of it. You see, we look at things differently than God. When you look at me, you can point out a lot of my flaws and faults. Amen? But when I look at you, I can point out a whole lot about you too. Ain't nobody perfect down here, this way. But when God, our creator, created us, he created us perfectly. He made us exactly as he wanted us to be. We see the coal. God saw the diamond. When God made you and me, he made us with care. He made us with precision. He made us with great attention to detail. None of us are mistakes. None of us are accidents. None of us come from a monkey's uncle. None of us are throwaways. None of us are cheapos. None of us are a piece of junk. Every single one of us. Look at me. You are a masterpiece of a God who created you. Deuteronomy 32.6 The Lord is your creator. He made you, informed you. Psalm 100, verse 3, the Lord is our God who has made us. Isaiah 43, 21, I found my people for myself that they might proclaim my praise. Zephaniah 3, 17, the Lord takes great delight in his people. He rejoices over us with song. Now, why am I driving this home? Pastor, you're supposed to be preaching on service. Because it has to do with service. You will never be any more of a servant than what you see when you look at yourself in the mirror. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see a masterpiece created by a creator God that you're perfect in his eyes? Or do you allow Satan to get into your mind and deceive you or mislead you? When you look into that mirror, do you just see a piece of junk? I'm a nobody. I'm a zero. I'm worthless. I have no purpose. I have no use. What a man thinketh determines what he will do. And if you think you're something of value, you will do valuable things. If you think you're nothing but a piece of junk, you will do nothing. God made you and I to be hummingbirds drinking of the nectar of the desert, not buzzards eating the dead carcasses in the sand. And yet some of us right here, right now, looking at me, when you go to the mirror, you say, I'm nothing but a buzzard, a piece of junk. And because of that, you'll never serve God. You'll never serve God effectively. So Paul comes out of the gate immediately, and he says to the Christians at Ephesus, I want you to understand there's a God who created you. He created you as a masterpiece. He created you to serve. Then notice also in verse 10 something else. Not only are we a masterpiece of a creator God, but we are a new creation in Christ of a saving God. Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship created. That word word could rather be translated recreated in Christ Jesus. Recreated in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the same Paul who writes this tells us that if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. The old person he used to be died. He now has a new life as another person. And this life is in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Suppose we had a church reporter. And he had a microphone in his hand. And he walked around and he would put the microphone in front of you and you would have to answer questions that he would ask of you. Well, suppose he was on the loose right now. Maybe he came from the back and you didn't even know he was back there. Maybe he's coming at you right now. Yeah, you. And suppose the question that you are going to have to answer right now on the spot it's what is the greatest thing God has ever done in your estimation? What is the greatest thing God has ever done in your estimation? Now, you might sit here and say, Pastor, that's a pretty easy one, creation. When you think about it, God created he made something out of nothing. There was no sun, but God made a sun. And then God put it in place and God lit it up with a big lighter. And then he hung the moon. That the moon would reflect the light of the sun to our planet. He placed the planets in our solar system along with 10 million other solar systems. He scattered the stars in the sky and put them exactly where he wanted them to be. He lit up the comets and then threw them into the air that they would burn bright through the sky. Then he turned his attention to the third planet called Earth. He oxygenated the air. He scooped the oceans. He stacked the mountains. He planted the forests. He sanded the deserts. He drew the rivers with his finger. He made the animals and then he made the crowning pinnacle of his creation, man and woman. If you sat here and said, Pastor, I believe the greatest thing God has ever done is he created it all. I would, might would agree with you. Others of you might say, No, Pastor, the greatest thing God has ever done is the miracles of the Bible. Man, the Bible's full of miracles, isn't it? I hope when we get to heaven, we can go to the movies. I hope there's a regal movies in heaven. I hope you can get some popcorn and a soda. I hope you can go sit in those cheers at kind of Lorraine back. What I'd like to see is the Miracles' Greatest Hits movie. I mean, can you imagine being taken back to where Moses was standing at this Red Sea And he holds up his hands and he moves them like that and the mighty waters rise up and push back and there's dry shod in front of him. Wow! He and the Israelites go across, the Egyptians go across, the dry ground starts turning muddy and the waters that are being held back suddenly are let go. What a miracle. How about the miracle where God held the sun in place? I guess he created it, he can hold it in place. And he gave Joshua time to win the victory before the darkness came. How about the time God used a marching band to bring down the walls of Jericho? You military men, I know that's not the way you would have done it. You would have brought the siege towers in and the catapults and the battering rams. God said, no, leave all that stuff behind. Just tell the band to strike up the music. What a miracle that was as the walls came tumbling down. The miracle of him healing the sick. Giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to the deaf, giving speech to the mute giving walk to the lame, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, raising the dead. And then how he slew Goliath. You say, David did that. No, God did that. He just happened to use a teenage boy. That human tank, Goliath, and God slew him. If you said to me, Pastor, I believe the greatest thing God has ever done is the miracles found in the Bible, I would have to probably tend to agree with you a little bit. Maybe you would say, no, Pastor, the greatest thing God has ever done was come into this world and become a man. The Christmas story. The incarnation, God became a man at Bethlehem. Maybe you would say, no. The resurrection is the greatest thing God ever did. He came out of the grave alive. We celebrated that as we should celebrate it every Sunday last week. Now, if you said that, I I wouldn't argue with you. God becoming a man through a virgin birth, that's something. Jesus coming out of a grave alive and defeating death and the grave and Satan and hell all in one shot. That's something to brag about. But I'd like you to think about something else. The greatest thing God has ever done was not creation, was not the miracles, was not His coming, was not His leaving was not the incarnation, was not the resurrection. Could I submit to you, it's what he did for us. Think about who we were. And if you can't make that thinking, look at verse 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2. One of the greatest portraits of who we were before Christ, outside of Christ, This is us, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 1 of chapter 2, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. What's dead mean, Pastor? Dead. What degree of dead, Pastor? You were dead dead. Tenth degree dead. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience was working in you, among whom also we all had our lifestyle and times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of that flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, the children of hell, the children of damnation, even as all were. Now think about that. Before we came to know Christ as our Savior, we were dead in our sins. We were dark in our sins. We were disobedient and defiant in our sins. We were doomed in our sins. We had no present. We had no future. And then... I, God stepped in to our world. He stepped in by His grace. He offered us that salvation we talked about earlier. He came to you and me. We didn't come to Him. He came to us through His Spirit. And He put it out before us. He said, no cost to you, no condition to you. It's been paid in full. Whosoever wants it can have it fully, freely, forever. You can be saved. And some of us, by faith, received it. And oh, what took place in our lives. We went from dead to alive, from dark to light, from disobedient to obedient and submissive, from doomed to saved. We went from sons and daughters of the devil to sons and daughters of the living God. From being placed in the lowlies to being placed in the heavenlies. Look at verse 4 now. As Paul makes that transition to those of us that are saved. He says, But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. That even when we were dead in sins, he made us alive together in Christ. And then He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places with His Son, Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show us off. (laughs) I like that. Show us off. The exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Wow. This Creator God who made us, Made us a masterpiece, perfect. This saving God who saved us made us a new creature in Christ. He recreated us to be like Jesus. And one day we'll be with Jesus. Now think about this. All of this is about your identity. If you don't know you're a masterpiece and you think you're a piece of junk, you'll never serve God. If you don't understand you're a new creature in Christ and you have the equipping and the enabling of God's Spirit Himself to serve God, you'll never serve God. If all you ever do is look at your life through the rearview mirror about what you used to be, you'll never become what God wants you to be. That brings us to number three now about service. We're not only are we masterpieces of a creator God, that's our identity. Not only are we new creations, new, new creatures of a saving God, but we're also now servants of the Lord God. Why did God make us masterpieces? Why did God make us new creations? Look at verse 10. When you ask a Bible question, go to the Bible for the answer. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do nothing. Is that that what your translation says? No. It says what? Help me out. Unto good works. We're called to do good works. We're called to be the servants of doing those good works. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 16? This is Jesus. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, they may see your good works, and glorify your Father, which is in heaven." Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight. Paul says, "We may abound in every good work." He's speaking to the saints. He says, "May we abound in every good work." Titus chapter two, verse 14. Paul, uh, Paul writing to young Titus says, "We are a peculiar people, zealous. Practicers of good works. Titus 3.8 says that there's a faithful saying that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not forget to do good works. Do not forget to do good works. Share with others. So why did God create us? Why did God save us? Why did God make us a masterpiece? Why did God make us a new creation that God could use us to be servants and do good works? We've been made with a purpose. It's not an accident. We've been made with a purpose to glorify God, and we've been made for a purpose, and that's to bless other people. You know that? I want you to picture this church for just a second as being a puzzle. All of us have put together puzzles before, but I want you to picture that this is a 600-piece puzzle. And every one of you who are a part of this church, you have a piece of the puzzle in your pocket. And we're going to have a service where we're going to ask you to come up and put your piece of in your pocket into the puzzle board. 600 people come. With 600 pieces of the puzzle, once we get everything in, you're going to see a beautiful picture of this church because the puzzle is a picture of this church. But suppose I call for you to come and you are... You sound asleep. Or maybe you're praying for me. And I appreciate your prayers. Some of you are praying for me long before I ever get up here. Maybe some of you got to go. Point is, we call for 600 of you to come. but 375 of you come. You put your piece in the puzzle. And then we hold up the puzzle, and I ask you, what is it? Pastor, it looks like a church, but I can't tell you what church it is. Pastor, there's too many missing pieces. There's too many absentee places. That picture really doesn't do much for us, and it doesn't do much for out there either. You know what the piece of the puzzle you hold in in your hand is? It's your service to God. And every one of us have a place to service in the puzzle of this church. But when you don't come and put your piece in place, there's a hole there. There's an absenteeism there. There's a vacancy there. And if enough of you are not serving the Lord, if you don't put your, place, your piece of service on the puzzle board, then we become an aberration of what we should be and of in consequence out there. It is only when everybody is serving that the puzzle is complete. And you see a beautiful picture of his church here, and they see a beautiful picture of his church in here. And then lastly... Follow with me. Follow the logic of Paul. Creator God has made us a masterpiece. Saving God has made us a new creation. Why did he make us a masterpiece? Why did he make us a new creation? Because he wants us to serve. He wants to be the Lord God and we serve him. The masterpiece is serving the master the new creation serving Christ, the Creator. And then lastly in verse 10, I want you to see something that just really excites me. The Lord has prepared that place of service for us. Notice in verse 10 it says, which God has ordained, before ordained that we should walk in them. The, them is the good works. That phrase, before ordained simply means that God, as He was creating us and before He created us, as He was saving us and even before He saved us, He had a place for us to do these good works. The place would be the local church. Wherever God plants you in the local church, God plants you there to serve. And that place was already determined. So if you're a part of this church, or any church if you're visiting with us today, God has placed you there. Even before he created you and saved you, God in his mind had already put you here, and he put you here to serve. He puts you here to do good works. You don't have to go around looking for that place to serve. God has already given you the abilities to do that service if you'll just respond to that service. I mean, think about it. You were created with natural talents. You were saved with spiritual gifts. You've been called to be a servant of God and to do good works for God in here and out there, you've been given the opportunity by God to serve. God has already opened the door, you just got to go through it. God has already created the opportunity, you just got to take advantage of it. God has given you a place to serve in here, God has given you a place to serve out there. And all we have to do is look for it because God has already given it to us. But why isn't everyone serving? As we move toward closing, what what is some of the reasons people don't serve? Why do probably half of you not serve? Well, maybe it comes back to what you see when you stand in the mirror. If you see yourself as a piece of junk, then you won't do nothing. I hope we can change that today. When you look in the mirror, I hope that you won't see a lump of coal. You'll see a diamond. That you'll see a priceless masterpiece made by a creator God. You're exactly as God wants you to be. A new creation in Jesus Christ. Who saved you. You now carry the image of Christ himself on you. Poor self-image. Sometimes though we get too busy, don't we? I'd love to serve pastor, but I'm too busy. Then you're too busy. Sometimes we better take some rods out of the fire. Because the rods that we have in the fire are temporal and earthly And are of no good. It's better to have eternal heavenly irons in the fire that will count for something up there. Some of us are mighty rich down here, but we're going to be mighty poor in heaven. Because everything we got is here. We have nothing up there. Some of us are too sinful. I hate to say that, but some of us love sin more than we love service. But I will give you credit. You're smart enough to know that I can't serve with this sin in my life. Therefore, I won't serve. But why don't you give up the sin instead of the service? Some of us are too selfish. You know, we live in a world of selfishness. Most churches today, all they want to talk about is you. I don't care about you. I don't care about me. It's all about Him. But selfishness. Some, some Christians believe the Holy Trinity is me, my, and mine. <laughs> That's all they think about is themselves. And when if, you all, if you're self-focused and self-absorbed, you'll never serve anybody else. Some of us are just too indifferent. We don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't know what your excuse is, ladies and gentlemen, but God saved you to serve. God saved me to serve. There's no exemptions, there's no exclusions, there's no exceptions, there's no escapees. God saved you to serve. So in closing, can I just give you a few things to think about? First of all, if you're not serving, may I suggest to you, you should ask the Lord to forgive you for your sin. You see, many of us think sin is only doing bad things. But sin also can be not doing good things. It's not just what we do. Sometimes it's not what we do. And some of us might need to leave here today and say, Lord, I haven't served you. I've made every excuse in the book. I haven't served you. You place me here. I have a piece of the puzzle here that makes this church complete, and if I'm not serving, the puzzle place will never be filled. The church will never be the beautiful picture you made it to be. It'll only be an aberration, a fuzz, a haze, because of the missing pieces. So, Lord, please forgive me. And then you look for ways, you look for your place of service. Not just in here, but out there. We serve in here to encourage and edify one another. We serve out there to evangelize people. Everything we do out there ought to have an evangelistic twist behind it. Ma'am, can I help you carry your groceries to the car? Yes, you can. Thank you for doing that. Carry him to the car. Put him in the car for her. You don't hold out your hand for a tip. You give her a track. Ma'am, I have a love story track. It's a beautiful story about Jesus. If you get a moment, would you read it at your own convenience? Have a good day, ma'am. Thank you. When people know that we care, People will listen to what we care about. So you're looking for a place of service because many of you have no place of service. How do you go about it? Well, you start small, you don't have to start at the top. You say, Pastor, I love to sing, I would love to serve this church in the choir. Pastor, I don't know if I can sing a solo. Who said you have to start singing solos? Why don't you just come in and be part of the team? You don't have to be the ticket. Just start small. You say, Pastor, I can't teach, but can you be a helper to a teacher? Pastor, I can't lead that ministry. Nobody's asking you to lead the ministry. Just be part of it. Start small. Start with one. Now, I know some of you are just workaholics. Some of you have 17 things you do around here. But listen to your pastor. Listen to 35-plus years in the ministry talking. If you do too much for too long, you are going to burn out. You're going to quit, and you're going to have a disgruntled attitude about it because nobody's rewarded you or recognized you, and nobody's helped you. And all of a sudden, something you meant for the good will become something Satan uses for the bad. I appreciate the fact you want to serve, but I'd rather you do one thing and do it exceptionally well than do 19 things, average or mediocre. You start small, you start with one, and you start now. Because some of you are saying, Pastor, tomorrow I'm going to start. That's like the tomorrow diet. Everybody loves it. Pastor, you're gaining some weight. I know I am. But tomorrow I'm going on that diet. Tomorrow I'm going to start serving. You say, Pastor, I know I should serve. I was created to serve. I've been saved to serve. I've been talented to serve. I've been gifted to serve. I understand that I need to serve to complete the picture of the puzzle. But I don't know where to look. Can I tell you as I close? When Amy gave her vision presentation, and I hope you're coming back tonight to hear from Sam. Next Sunday night, I'll give mine. But when Amy talked about children's ministry here, one of the things that was profound that she said, and I think she meant to say it. I don't think it was just one of those things you say. I think she had really wanted to anchor there and it was that it takes about 75 to 80 adult workers on any given service to take care of all of our children that we have here. 75 plus men, mostly women, to work with our boys and girls while we are here or wherever else we might be. You know we have a nursery for every service? Who do you think takes care of those babies? We don't leave them there by themselves. I hope not. (laughs) But we need ladies in that nursery who will hold babies and sing Jesus Loves Them. We need ladies to serve in the nursery. You say, Pastor, I'm too old to serve in the nursery. I done did my time. No, honey, you still have time left in you. When your time's up, God will call you home. Pastor, I don't have any children. I'll wait till I get kids. Why not learn right now? You see, we're good at making excuses. But can you imagine what it would do to our nursery If we had people lined up to serve, instead of somebody having to serve once every three weeks, we could stretch that thing out to once every six weeks. And instead of having one person trying to watch maybe more than they should, we've got numerous workers helping out. You say, Pastor, I'm not into nursery. I'm not into nursery either. But if I wasn't preaching, I could go back there and watch those boys and girls. Nursery. Sunday school teachers and helpers. You say, I can't teach, but you can help. I can't help. Maybe you can teach. I can't do neither. Well, stay in there and you'll learn. We got an Awana program here. Every Wednesday night, a considerable number of boys and girls are across the street learning about our Lord. From September through May, and we've got vacancies over there. We've got holes in that, and, the, and workers that we need filled. We've had to send staff people over there to help out a little bit. And they've fallen in love with it and they don't want to come back now. But that's okay. But they, they had to go there because we just didn't have enough people to do it. Children's Church, where we teach boys and girls about church before they ever get in big churches, we call it. we got Vacation Bible School coming up this summer. Five weeks, one day per week. We do it that way. Every Wednesday for five weeks we'll have Vacation Bible School. Some of you could step up without having to be asked and say, listen, I'm here to serve. I can teach, I can help, I can do crafts, I can do games, I can do administrative work. I can't do anything but herd those boys and girls. We'll take herders. Come on. My point is every single one of you ladies ought to be involved in something in children's ministry here. You really should. And some of our men should be. We need ushers, we need greeters. We have a benevolence team here that feeds, that prepares a dinner for, for families in our church when they lose a loved one. Do you know how many is on that team? About six ladies. Now, I know others prepare meals for them, but there's about six ladies that are actively here two hours before the meal, during the meal, two hours after the meal. And what happens when we have two or three funerals a week, which we've had before? I I hate to pick up the phone and call them. And they're so sweet and gracious, and they'll say, Pastor, it doesn't matter if you had 100, we'll do it. But wouldn't it be wonderful instead of six if they had 24 of them? And they could rotate and work together. We've got some amazing cooks in this church. We've got some amazing servant people in this church. We've got a wonderful music ministry. Some of you could be in the music ministry. You can sing. We've got a big work project coming up the 1st of September. In two weeks, we're going to renovate this sanctuary. You're going to walk in when it's done and say, wow! That's not going to change who we are. I promise you that. But it's going to be a different look. And we're going to need to get every one of these pews out. So far we have two people signed up <laughs> are drafted, I say. I'm just kidding, but we, we're going to need help. We're going to need because we've got a, two weeks to turn this whole thing around, because we'll be over in the Family Life Center for a couple of weeks there. My point is, there's things that you can do. God is already prepared for you to do. All you have to do is recognize it and do it. Because if you don't do it, we have an incomplete picture. If you don't do it, somebody else has to do it, and it puts a stress and a strain and a burden on them. What a wonderful thing it could be. If every single one of us here said, I am going to find a place of service, and starting next week, I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk to Amy. I'm getting involved in children's ministry. I'm going to get involved in music ministry. I'm going to sign up to help out on this September project. When it starts advertising in the bulletin, I'll be there. Vacation Bible School's coming up. I'm signing up for it. I'm going to let myself be used of God to serve. I was created to serve. I was saved to serve. I will serve. And the more you give of Jesus in service, the more you'll have of Him, I promise you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.